Hello and welcome back to another episode of Command Space this week. This is episode 57. It's a special episode for you this week. I have the pleasure to be joined by Mr. Jim Kudol today. Uh, the deck and field notes, Kudol partners and all that fun stuff. And uh, had time to, to speak with Jim, so I uh, wanted to make sure I got this episode out to you. Might have already had one this week. This is an extra special one. Before we get into the conversation, though, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, and that is for fine folks over at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that make it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO8. Squarespace are constantly updating their platform with new features, designs, and are always making their support even better. They have beautiful designs for you to start off building your, your website with. They have tons of style options so that you can adjust, craft, and really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and makes sure that your site looks automatically fantastic on any device. It's really easy to use, but if you need any help, they have an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Go to squarespace.com now to sign up for a free trial, and while you're there, check out the awesome videos that they have on their homepage. They're really beautiful, and they show you exactly how different people are using Squarespace to create their own site. Squarespace will give you a free trial if you go to squarespace.com. You can sign up for a free trial. And their plans start at just $8 a month and they include a domain name for free if you sign up for a year. And don't forget, you will get 10% off and support this show and all of 5x5 if you use the offer code TALLYHO8. That's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O-8. So go check out Squarespace, everything that you need to create an exceptional website. Now, let's get on with the show. Mr. Jim Cordell, thanks for joining me. How are you? Hey, Mike. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Kudal? Kudal. Kudal. Exactly Kudal. right. Kudal. Danish. Oh, okay. I wondered where the name would come from. Yes. My grandfather, Nils, came from Ronders, Denmark. I don't actually know what the name means, but it's... Um, Rare in Chicago. It's rare in the United States and even rare in Denmark. So I don't know. Which never, is, I guess it's sort of good. It it's a five letter word for a URL that you can't find anywhere else. So Yeah, I mean, you kind of got it, right? I've never heard the name before. I've never heard it anywhere else. Right, right. I think at one point, one of my brothers found that there was no other ones in the United States beside us. Wow. So I thought that was sort of interesting. That's pretty cool. I mean, you have literally no no problem when you want to get, like, the Twitter name and stuff. Right. Well, I have to fight my dad and my brothers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to be faster than them, though. So, so Jim, what do you yes. like to be known for? What do I like to be known for? Um, I don't know. Sort of uh, advancing the... Uh, I like to be known for... Uh, being responsible for many people wasting many hours of time on the internet. I think that's what I think I'm. I'm a I'm a drag on productivity. I think that's what I'd like to be known for. I think that might be my favorite answer. <laughs> Don't tell the other guests. <laughs> okay, that might be my favorite. Well, so, I you know beside the businesses that we run, the DAC Ad Network and Field Notes and number of other businesses. We've been publishing uh, the Kudal site, kudal.com, and more specifically, Fresh Signals, the link blog that runs down the middle of kudal.com continuously since Halloween of 1999. So I think if you add up the 90,000 posts or whatever it is that we've done, and you figure that we've had a fair amount of traffic 
most for most of that time, and that a couple of those links appealed at least a couple of the thirty odd links we post in a day appealed to each of those pers- people who came to the site, and they click through to some ridiculous thing that we li- linked up. I think if we did all the math on that, I think you know it might be like a few basis points on GDP, at least out of the, at least in the design, the web design and creative uh, world. So it's an incredibly long time to be publishing yeah. a site so frequently. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. We I, I really like the layout of, of, of Google. It looks like a newspaper. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's sort of pre-responsive design and we've only changed in all that time. We've only changed the layout three times. Well, three and a half, four, I guess four times. But, um, and we sort of, over the course of the last five years or four years, we've come just this close to uh, revising the layoff, layout uh, and backed off of it. Um, I'm not sure why. The last two times we did a redesign, I sort of knew what we wanted to do. And when we got there, we pulled the trigger. And I think, a little bit of it is this time it seems like we're redesigning for the sake of redesigning. Right. Um, so I don't know. Um, I've got a really sweet layout for it that's pretty much ready to go that I'm gradually falling out of love with. So I, I don't know. I, I, we'll stick with the current layout at least for a little while. So it is sort of funny that we have this wide page with a big image and all these stories and paragraphs and everything. But we know that people come to the homepage of com generally to read that little strip that runs down the middle. The Fresh Signals is the link blog. It's sort of the, we sort of look at it as the spine of the whole operation in a way. Like if we hadn't done that and we hadn't got an audience back then, then we couldn't have launched Photoshop Tennis, which wouldn't have got a big audience that later became interested in field notes and uh, allowed us to put together an ad network of like-minded sites. So, you know, it's all serendipity, Mike, but in some ways, a little link blog was the sort of fuse to the whole thing. So where do the links come from? Where are you finding the stuff? Is it just you or is it a bunch of you contributing? No, no. There's all of us here, which is about seven. And then, and here I'm going to put the pressure on you. Each month we invite one person that we think is interesting to write links for us. So since 1999, every month we've had a guest editor. This month it's uh, Max Temkin, who uh, developed the card game Cards Against Humanity, Mm -hmm. local Chicago designer. And um, so that sort of keeps a fresh voice in there. We'd, and we'd like Mike Hurley to do it one of these months, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I better, no start, look, I better just, start going to Google. <laughs> basically, the, uh, the, basically, the concept is the guest editor writes interesting links and we say nice things about them. So it's, that's pretty much what it is. So, you know, there's six or seven or eight voices in, involved. And we've got particular obsessions, um, Stanley Kubrick, for example, and uh, m- many other things. Um, uh, and uh, I don't know, the vo- I think the voice of people, there's, I've quoted this before, but I think it was, uh, maybe it was Edmund Way, I'm not sure who said this, but it was a review of a, it was kind of a damning review of a theatrical performance. And the quote was, um, people who like this sort of thing will find this exactly the sort of thing they like. And I think that sort of sums up Fresh Signals. Like, if you're with us, 
It's like the perfect link blog. If you're not with us, you probably could find something interesting. But if you're with us in our, in our sort of obsessions with kind of oddball films and Stanley Kubrick and weird collections on the web and, um, you know, interesting reference materials and uh, Bob Dylan and The Clash, if you're with us on those sort of things, then, then Fresh Signals is, is going to be your uh, uh, go-to uh, 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 place to f- find things to waste time on. Yeah, you're set basically. Just set it as homepage, yeah, and we'll call right, it right, right, right. So I, you know, I don't know how we could not do it. We've been doing it so long. It's sort of the, it's just part of what we do. Like you know, everybody throws links up there all day long, and we have this thing. There's, I believe, the front page currently shows 35 links, and they're very usually generally very short, not quite Twitter short, but very short. And we have a phrase is when we're hot and people are posting a lot of links, if the in a single day, all the links on the front page are all are filling all 35 and spilling over into the second page, we call that running the table. And uh, we haven't run the table in a while. So maybe we need to uh, uh, get get a little get a little uh, more motivated to post some more coffee. links. Just some good coffee uh, and you're going. I find the links. I have a go-to bookmark folder that is constantly growing. Other people, you know, are finding them on Twitter. People are finding them in Reddit. People people send us links all the time, yeah. whether it's, a you know, somebody who wants some promotional exposure or somebody else who said, we always get those emails that says, uh, uh, that say, uh, this is the, I think this is the sort of thing you like. And almost all the time they are. It is the sort of thing we like, you know, so. So there's two two of your projects of the kinds of other things that I mainly want to talk about today. And okay. that's the deck, which is mm-hmm. an incredibly interesting project that we'll get into. And something that's close to my heart, which is Field Notes. Yes. Um, and, and anyone who, who's familiar with the work that I do on 5x5 will, will know the show that we have called The Pen Addict, where we talk about pens and paper and stuff. And um, so that anyway, people will know that pens and, and paper. And you talk about field notes. We talk a lot about notes. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode, yeah. pretty much. Yes. There's um, this, I mean, I don't know how you want to start the discussion, but the, the um, we. Well, let me back up. One thing that's interesting, we've done a lot of different projects over the years. We had a company that recorded live concerts and sold um, specific uh, recordings of specific concert performances. We had a company that we're winding down now called Jewel Boxing that sold a really sweet system for making uh, uh, short-run CD and uh, DVD packaging. We ran a thing called the Swap Meet, which was... uh, uh, very popular and very successful and not at all profitable. And um, Layer Tennis, I think probably a lot of the people listening know what that is. Started out as Photoshop Tennis, became Layer Tennis. So it's sort of online, uh, live online design competitions. But the interesting thing is right now, the two things that are keeping us the busiest are the two that you mentioned, the Deck Ad Network and uh, Field Notes brand. And what's interesting to me about that is that one of them is uh, decidedly and deliciously analog. A field notes is all about real things. It's about paper and ink and printing processes and uh, typography and varnishes and um, shipping material all over the world and contacting stores to have them sell them to people who come into their stores with actual money in their hand. And the other project is the deck, which is entirely ephemeral. It is a completely digital 
uh, thing. It has nothing to do with the real world. We're selling inventory to advertisers on a collective of uh, more than 50 sites and services, and um, there's nothing analog about it. So it's sort of interesting that these the two projects that are our main focus right now, and not to say that there aren't other projects in the wings, but um, that are on completely opposite sides of that sort of digital analog domain. Um, I don't know what it means. I just think it's sort of interesting. I, I think it, it's very interesting. And the deck is is particularly interesting to me because it it was so different and still is in a lot of way to how web advertising is done. And I would love to know where the idea for, for doing advertising this way came from. Um, yeah, it's, it is still different. The only way that it's not different is that there are a number of firms that have completely co-opted our idea. So there are other, (laughs) there are other people who are doing the same thing we're doing, but we'll leave that for another kind of discussion. Um, we had a fairly good audience at kudal.com and we were also advertising at that point we were advertising this company called The Show. We were going on tour with the Pixies and Dead Can Dance, and we were selling these live CDs, and we were advertising jewel boxing, and it was, it, it, which was the other thing. And it was a, a royal pain in the ass to buy any advertising that was targeted to the kinds of people we were trying to target. And we also knew that we had a lot of friends who were publishing on the web who weren't carrying advertising. And for this reason they weren't carrying advertising is because the traditional model of display advertising on the deck was unappealing and sort of felt icky in a way. Like imagine a web full of uh, blogs with no ads on them. So we, um, if you want to go way back, we ran a little bit of a text experiment. We ran some text ads at the top of our site and it had a similar idea to the deck in that there was only a certain number of them for the month and you would they would rotate through the month. And we managed to sell a few ads on that to Veer at the time and I think Rackspace might have been one of our first customers and, and a few other people like that. And so because actually not because we were trying to make ad revenue but because we were actually trying to look for a way to advertise to a large audience of um, web design and creative professionals we um, came up with this idea of the deck which is this sort of one ad per page very carefully um, curated list of advertisers and of affiliates and um, ads were bought for a month it's not based on CPM generally speaking um, uh, and we um, presented that idea to our friend Jason Freed from 37 Signals, who runs the Signal versus Noise blog, which is, is now and has been very popular for a long time. And another good friend of ours, Jeffrey Zeldman, uh, who was running A List Apart, which was running uh, indispensable um, essays about web design and um, intelligent and uh, beautiful. And we said to them, let's put on a show let's let's start an ad network and so um they said okay and we started that and we sold some ads and a little bit later i think we got john uh gruber from daring fireball to come in with us and andy bio from waxy and jason kotke and after that the order of how they came in becomes a little bit mixed up but now metafilter and design inspiration and dribble and the five by five podcast network and um, found and 
um, Swiss Miss and countless other uh, sites and services on uh, the deck on the on the web are part of the deck network. And uh, I wrote an article about the deck for a list apart a long time ago. But the the basic thing was we always knew that the um, advertising online advertising model served three people. There were three people at the table so to speak. There was the publisher who was looking for a way to make some money to support um, what they were doing, mostly out of love, but it'd be nice to make some money. There was the advertiser who was trying to reach a highly qualified, savvy, and curious audience in an uncluttered way. And there um, was the uh, reader, the consumer, who um, could benefit by a highly vetted list of advertisers and also and not be insulted by punch the monkey ads and huge takeover ads mm-hmm. and skyscrapers and audio and everything else but be respected by showing a small ad a single small ad um, and also benefits by the fact that the people that they love to read like Jason Kotke and uh, Tina at Swiss Miss and whoever are um, able to uh, do more publishing because they have some financial backing. So I think the thing that made the deck model different um, is that it was developed with all three people in mind. I think most ad networks were developed either from a publishing standpoint or from an advertising standpoint. Um, and I think it's it's bore out. We've been run pretty much sold out for the last couple of years, and 75 to 80 percent of our advertisers every month renew the next month. Um, the dirty little secret of the deck is for the right product, it's terrifically um, effective. It's not the right advertising network for every product, but for the products that it's for, it's terrifically effective. And because we serve so many ads, um, people who just want to buy eyeballs want to buy the deck all the time, but we don't sell ads to them. People who are doing mortgage refinance or weight loss programs or what have you. So um, that, you know, the whole approach seems simple and lo-fi because in fact, it's simple and lo-fi and was uh, well thought out along the way. There's very few procedures involved in it. We hardly ever have any issues with things. The, the, the publishers don't generally get it to vote up or down on ads. Um, but we've had over the course of whatever it is, five or six years, we've had a couple or three issues. So, um, you know, it works pretty well. So, and it's, it's fun. It's like somebody once accused me of just making an ad network of my bookmarks file, and I think that I'm probably guilty of that. So It's not necessarily a bad thing to do, though. Yeah. Well, once again, it goes back to, like, fresh signals. I figure there's other people like me, you know? I figure there's other people like me who, like, when I was advertising for Jewel Boxing, who were looking for a way to buy a large audience in one place in an unsort of uncluttered environment. Or they were like me when I was a publisher of Kudal.com who was looking for a way to make a little money without whoring out the site. Or they were like me as a reader who would like to see that the sites and blogs that I like could make a little money so that we, they can keep writing. So, you know, I think, you know, it's make it for yourself. And, and you know, if, if, um, that, if we have any... Um, consumer research it's uh do we like it will other people like it i hope so you know i mean people must be somewhat like us they wouldn't be reading our site every day since 1999 if they didn't exactly if they weren't sort of like us in some way you know so 
Like, and hey, we're pretty transparent about it. It's pretty, yeah. wide, you know, it's pretty open. We don't, there's, you know, we don't make PowerPoint presentations. We do not go to ad agencies and wine and dine media buyers. We don't generally answer an RFP that's more than one page. We don't, you know what I mean? We don't have any of the normal ad network stuff. I think like many of the tasteful um, advertisement or sort of money-making things on the web, you you guys at the deck are very picky about the people that are your publishers and your advertisers. Um, and I know that that's something that the guys here at 5x5 are, that, you know, they are very picky about who we let advertise on our shows. They're people that we believe and trust. Um, how do you choose what types of people to work with, both on a publisher level and an advertiser level? Um, well, on the publisher level, for most of the history of the deck, we've invited people that we respect and admire. But we also have received emails every single day from people who would like to be in the deck. Sure. And um, many of them are probably worthy of it, but we've been reticent to sort of get out over our skis and grow the thing in any explosive sort of way. So, um, yes, people write and say they're interested, and we talk to them, and occasionally they come into the deck. But more often than not, we identify a site or a service that really seems to fit with the vibe of what the deck is, and we write them, and or we find somebody who knows them to make an introduction, and we talk to them. From the advertiser standpoint, um, we get lots of requests to buy advertising, and most of the time, it's pretty easy to decide whether we want to pursue that or not. I mean, most of the time, it's there, it's there's not that many close calls, you know, like. Of course, we love MailChimp to be an advertiser. We love Media Temple to be an advertiser. We love um, uh, um, iStock Photo to be an advertiser. These are companies that are providing services to people who are like us and are providing them in interesting and innovative ways and are also interesting and innovative marketers. But if somebody wants to, you know, sell SEO services or something, which many people do it doesn't feel like the kind of thing you know we said it from the beginning we said we won't take an ad unless we've um tried paid for or tried or explored your service and that's become more difficult as these services are all over the place and some of them are high-tech services i don't even understand so it's difficult for me to try them but um you know, you sort of know it when you see it. And because of the reach of the network, because of the people involved in the network, um, I think most of the advertisers that make sense come to us as readers of deck sites as well. So they sort of they sort of get it, you know. It's sort of like that. If somebody writes us and they get what we're doing with the deck, chances are that's probably going to be a good fit. If they write us and we try to explain this simple process of how we take ads and they want us to prepare an RFP and they want us to do a PowerPoint presentation and we need to break down the demographics of the audience by country and sex and income, well, they probably don't get it. And that's probably not a good fit. So, you know, it's um, surprisingly easy to figure out the right things. And, you know... It's very few controversies, really, over the whole time we've ever done it. So, 
Do you think that there's anything in maybe some some companies wanting the prestige of being a deck sponsor, like appearing on sites like Kudal and Daring Fireball and a list apart? Sure, I think so. I mean, there's two, you know, it's not to get all advertising 101, but there's sort of two parts of this equation. There's the direct sort of result, which is, here's my new service, try it for free. And then we buy, you know, somebody buys a schedule and they get, 2.5 million impressions in the month and 9,000 people click on the service and 2,000 people sign up and 1,000 become a, a paying customer. But I don't know where, where I just pulled those numbers out of the air. But there's the other part of it is that many of these products are not something that people make a snap judgment about or a, a quick decision about. For example, um, let's take hosting as a category. Nobody sees an ad for a hosting company and says, "Oh my God, I got to host! I got to host with them!" and <laughs> clicks through and yeah. does that. I need to change but, right yeah. now. <laughs> exactly. But there's sort of this idea, this sort of idea of awareness advertising. This idea of the passing parade is that at some point that person is going to need hosting, and at that moment, if you're not on the short list in their head, you're never going to get the business. So that that sort of part of it is sort of a, is awareness advertising, and that's true of all categories. I'm just using hosting as one example. Um, it's oldest saw in advertising of all time is that share of mind, uh, share of market follows share of mind. So I think the deck can address both of those things. First of all, there is tonnage. You do get a lot of impressions against a qualified and curious audience. And the audience is curious. They, If you have a product that's fit for them and you give that's uh, really relevant to them, not sort of Google, anal Google relevant, but really relevant to them, and give the audience an easy, I hate this word, but frictionless way to try the product, the deck audience will. The deck audience will test drive products, you know? So that's good. But there's also the sort of implied endorsement of the deck, since we are careful about the advertisers that we take, I think there is some benefit to being one. And you're also building awareness for potentially future purchases, if, especially if you have a product that's not, oh my God, I got to have that t-shirt right now. You know what I mean? It's more of a uh, service that you need to be sort of, um, uh, yeah, that people need to be aware of your service when at some point they make that decision. And smart advertisers are there all the time for those, you know, that they're there all the time. Why did you decide to go with the one ad on the sites in that format? Like, why not do two ads and double the money? Why not do four ads, put them in a block and have them video? Like, why did you make that specific format choice and the restrictions around there being only the one ad on each site that you that you provide advertisement uh, for? I, I, I mean, it seemed like a much cleaner proposition to have a single impression on a single page view. We were now we never considered animated ads or video or anything like that. We felt like that was interruptive to the experience. And remember, we were building this thing six years ago when you know, the entire web was not video. Like, you know, so, um, and the people who were originally in the deck were very proud and rightfully so of their layouts as well. So we didn't want to do anything to, to do that. We thought that even though the image was relatively small, the addition of the 80 characters of text that goes along with it gave some flexibility for the advertiser and still gives flexibility to the advertiser in order to do a more graphic approach for the image and then make an offer or explain or whatever, make a 
some sort of compelling um, statement in the text that goes along with it. You know, I think the thing about more ads on the page is, um, if you'd like to hear a lot of this discussion in great detail, uh, Gruber and I did a panel at South by Southwest in 2009 or 2010, uh, which is was titled something along the lines of um, losing the race to the bottom in online advertising. And um, I feel like, uh, generally speaking, if a site gets, this is kind of boring, but if a site gets a million page views in a month and there's one ad on there and you tell the advertiser they are going to get a million impressions and you base their advertising cost on CPM based on that, that is all fine. But if there's three ads on there, and you tell all three advertisers that they're getting a million impressions and you base the CPM based on that, that's not fine because the quality of attention is not the same. If there's three ads on the page, you in some way need to reduce what you're promising to deliver, right? You know, so our feeling was to keep it clean. You know, and actually, we never it never ever came up. We never ever discussed a second ad. We never it, it, even to this day, it's never never been discussed. We talked a little bit about making the image bigger here and there, and you know, maybe that'll happen someday. And I don't know. Um, it's a beautiful size for for mobile, though. Like for mobile Safari, it's a great size for that. So, or mobile Chrome or whatever, a mobile browser. Yeah, it works or even in an well. even in an app. Yeah. So I found the audio for that talk. It's actually difficult for me to find it by Googling it, but people, oh, yes. people have put it on HuffDuffer, so it'll be in the show notes. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The way we did the talk, actually, too, um, John has some really interesting stories about some experiments he did with advertising before we put the deck together. So the first half of the talk is John is me interviewing John, and the second half of it is John interviewing me. And then there's, I don't know if the talk includes the Q&A, but there was a pretty rambunctious Q&A after it as well. So it's, that, it's kind of boring to talk about cost impressions and all of that sort of stuff, but um, that talk's fairly entertaining I think I think it's one of those things that in the right frame is nerdy enough that we will just enjoy it <laughs> All you right. know? I'll buy that, I'll buy that. <laughs> so I'll buy that. I, I want to move on to field notes but I have a, a okay. big question All right. so in my eyes and I think in the eyes of others and, and I'm sure you are a, a much too humble man to, to admit it or maybe you will because it's true but it's. I think it's clear that the deck redefined advertising on the web because there's been many agencies pop up that do a similar thing and doing things the way that you guys do and you've been able to show that you can make good money and do things in a tasteful way. Um, so you've been able to revolutionize that. What do you think is next for online advertising? I'm sure that this is something that you think a lot about. Is there something else that can be done? Um. I'm absolutely sure that there is something else that can be done, and I'm equally sure that I haven't figured it out yet. Because you'd have done it already. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I wonder, I don't have an answer to this, but I wonder if eventually there, everything will come completely full circle and we'll be back to the beginnings of the American broadcast industry in which a live television play was brought to you by Hallmark. 
with no interruptions. That the idea of the patron as opposed to the advertiser may find a way forward on the web, but I don't know how that works exactly. Um, And I also wonder about mobile and I wonder about these small screens and the minute amounts of attention that we pay to things in the mobile environment and whether a display advertisement is the proper thing to do there. But I don't have an answer, Mike. I don't. I mean, I think that I'll take credit for changing, at least in the web design and creative niche of, uh, uh, creative professional niche of the internet, of how um, display advertising can work. but I fully expect someone else to probably have the next big idea. I'm not sure. Hey, do you know? If you have the idea, maybe we could talk offline because, you know, we've got to future-proof the deck somehow. Podcast advertising. <laughs> what? Podcast advertising. That's the future. <laughs> yeah, right. We did an interesting thing with Gruber on his podcast once. We were for – this. here's – how's this for a segue? Because it's about field notes. Um, we did, we do, to the, for people who don't know it, I mean, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more, but we do four limited editions every year, seasonal limited editions that generally sell out quite quickly. We have a, a regular stable of products and uh, we're kind of a normal memo book company, except for the fact that we have these four um, editions every year and they're made from different paper, they have a different theme, they are printed different, different colors. Um, and um, one of them, not too fairly recently, was the Traveling Salesman Edition. And generally speaking, in the past, we've made films to accompany these editions. And generally speaking, the films don't really talk about the product at all. We're just trying to strike the mood of the theme, which is really fun for us. Uh, but in the, case of, <clears throat> in the case of Traveling Salesman, we found so much information about the history of the traveling salesman in America. And Steve, one of our writers and filmmakers here, found this guy who wrote this really interesting book about the history of guys who went door to door in the 20s and 30s of America to sell products that we did a one-off, I think, 40-minute podcast on the history of uh, American traveling salesmen. So we interviewed this guy and we edited it into its own podcast. But a one-off podcast is not the world's greatest idea as the idea of a podcast is that it's a regular thing that happens. So um, it was very difficult to promote it. It was up on the field notes site. It got listened to by most of the regular field notes people. But what we did was we bought a sponsorship to John's podcast, which has a big audience. But instead of running the typical ads in there that said um, today's uh the, today's show is brought to you by Field Notes Traveling Salesman Edition. Go to fieldnotesbrand.com and order yours today. Um, the advertisement said, uh, uh, in honor of their newest seasonal edition, Field Notes has produced uh, a, uh, a, a podcast about the history of traveling salesmen in America. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. Stay tuned after the show. And we just piggybacked it right on the back of his podcast. I remember I thought that. that was sort of an interesting approach to podcast advertising. I don't have any hard and fast data on how it worked, but I thought the idea, you know, because there's that when your podcast is over, Mike, um, 
all that stuff that doesn't come after it, <laughs> like when it's over, it's over. Like it's easy to add something to the end of it and mm-hmm. give the listener the opportunity to continue or not. You yeah. know, like it doesn't it doesn't infringe at all on the content of your podcast in any more way than a normal advertisement was where you're saying stay tuned after today's talk with Jim Kudal for a podcast about um, for a quick show about um, um, the traveling salesman edition or whatever, whatever product it is. I don't know. Sort of an interesting concept. Anyhow, to use audio, like to use produced audio to advertise in a medium of produced audio seems to make sense to me. It's the medium in which people are already choosing to consume this yep. so yes. there is i do un, i get that that makes yeah. sense to me because like i'm about to, to read it more somehow yeah know. like i'm about to read an ad now. okay but you know but it does and you know a lot of our sponsors like it to be in my voice because right. the listeners m- maybe trust me i'd like to think that they trust me by now so they right. like to hear the, the ad in my voice right. but if you're creating something that is special on its own like a, an interview of some kind which which talks about the ethos around the product or something fun or i mean i've i've often thought what a jingle could be like like could that be fun to listen to these days like a classy <laughs> sort of old school sort of radio type jingle you know mm-hmm. and and little interesting things like that about it being the this medium so so audio but different to just how it's like on a public radio or like on these where, where I read a, a script that's been provided by our sponsor. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about field notes. Okay. But this episode of Command Space is brought to you by the fine folks over at Shutterstock.com. This is where you will find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. You can start your search over at Shutterstock to find the perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from across the world to suit any project that you're doing. You can choose between image packs or monthly subscription packages. You can choose whatever fits you need, your needs and you never have to compromise. But if you need just one image for your blog or a mock-up or some design that you're doing, you can do that too. They have an a la carte option also. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you're guaranteed to find something new since they add over 10,000 new images every single day. And it's much more affordable than you think. There's no extra charge for large files. You can just download any image in any size and you pay only one price. You don't pay any extra for high-resolution images. If you need them, you just take them. They have a great thing that they, they built at Shutterstock called Lightboxes, which lets you easily curate and share your pictures. So you can choose all your favorite pictures, videos, and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. And you can also use their iPad application to do this too. They even have something called Enhanced License Access. So if you like an image and want to run it on print or maybe on something for a trade show that you're doing, then they can give you an enhanced license for any image that they have. Not only does Shutterstock hold images, they have vectors, icons, infographics, templates for those, videos, and so much more. If you need any help when you're shopping around at Shutterstock, you can get an account rep dedicated to you who can answer any questions, and they have 24-hour support during the week. Sign up for a free browse account by going to Shutterstock.com. No credit card needed to do that. And when you find the images you like and you decide to purchase, use the offer code CMD8, and you'll get 30% off any package. Thank you to Shutterstock for their support. 
So Field Notes. Also a regular deck advertiser. They're Smart good. guys. They're good people. Yeah. How did Field Notes come to you? In the mail. Like everybody uh, else. <laughs> uh, Aaron Draplin from the Draplin Design Corporation in Portland and I have been friends online for a long time. And Aaron made a small run of Field Notes that look pretty much like our regular field notes look right now, a little different, but pretty much, for friends at the end of the year, I believe it was in 2005 or 2006, I think it was, and he made them by hand, and he sent me one, and I opened the mail, and I looked at it, and I appreciated the present, and I called Aaron, and I said, let's make a business, and he said, okay, and uh, it didn't take us long, and we made a run of them. And between whatever reach we have at Kudal and whatever reach he has from the DDC, we got the word out. And the first day they put the site together and the first day they were available, we made 13 sales. And we sort of figured, well, maybe this is something. I knew right, right when, the minute I had one in my hand, I said, we have to make this product. We have to do this. And uh, Aaron's a genius and a visual genius and just absolutely gets the authentic historic sort of design that Field Notes is about, about American agricultural design in the first part of last century. And um, the first time I saw the product, I got it too. And I think that that, hopefully to this day, is that first introduction people get to the product that they get it too. It's all about how it looks and how it feels and what it's made of and what words we wrap around it. So, um, yeah, and so we've been going since 2007 on this thing. So, and it's a ton of fun to work uh, with Aaron on it uh, and uh, with everybody here. And uh, so now we're like in a thousand stores, man. So I'm a pen and paper nerd, right, as I said. So Field Notes is a, a natural fit for me. But recently I've been, I've been using, because I've started to amass a collection um, and then realized that I should actually start using them every day. So <laughs> I carry around at least two Field Notes notebooks now all the time, and it's changed my life to, to actually have them on my person rather than yeah. just collecting them and keeping them at home. Yeah. And I've been using them a lot in my day job in the office, and people are just like, what What are those books? Because they keep seeing me bringing in different designs, right, as I'm filling up one or I've got one for a different project. What's in your which, which versions are in your pocket currently? I have the day game edition, the white and red. Very nice. And I was a friend was able to get me a set of the purple XOXO editions. Excellent. And I have one of those too because uh, I love that color. And um, I've now given a couple of them away to some colleagues and my manager is buying a color subscription for a brother for his birthday. Very <laughs> so good. It's Very it's good. just this interesting thing because they're unlike. I mean, because in a, I work for a big corporation, so it's just moleskins all over the place. So to see a notebook which is a different format, totally different design, people are like, "What is this thing that you've mm -hmm. got?" Yeah, and the other thing is that the, I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about. One of my favorite things is that. Generally speaking, aside from the completists and the avid collectors, these things are used. These are not 
precious. They are meant to be written in. They are meant to be written in with mundane things. You don't have to write an ode to a Grecian urn to make the first entry in your field notes. You can write milk, butter, vodka. You know, like you, it, they are practical. Um, and I think for me, that's an important part of them is that, I mean, they do look different. People, they, people are attracted to them and we do these different versions, which keeps the sort of music going, but, the, but they are essentially practical, you know, and in this world of digital note taking and digital this and typing on my phone that, I don't know, there's something about writing down the quote somebody said or the time of the movie or the directions to the farmer's market on a piece of paper that is kind of a fun and satisfying thing. The, the tagline for field notes came from my grandfather. We go back to Denmark for a second. My grandfather, I lived with him for a while after my grandmother died. I was about college age. And he would always like tear a little corner off of the newspaper and he would write something down, something somebody said on TV or something that he remembered he needed to do or whatever it was. And I said to him one time, I said, Gramps, like, what? You're just going to lose that piece of paper. You're just going to write it down on that piece of paper and you're just going to lose it. Why don't you, you know, write it down to something else? And he verbatim said our tagline, which is, I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. That the idea of the physical act of committing a thought or a quote to a piece of paper is what ingrains it in your mind. Yep. Maybe it's not even that important that you keep the note. It's that you made the note. You know, and that's, that goes right to the heart of the, practicality of field notes which is the one of the things that is satisfying to me is that people are buying them and using them you know and they look great when they're used they wear yeah, really you, well yeah when you whip them out of your in your meeting and it's one that maybe has been in your back pocket for a long time so uh -huh. it's got that nice sheen on it and yeah yeah but they're not too, they're not too precious that you have, feel like you need to have a brilliant thought to put in them I think that's sort of part of it so how important is the quality of the product and the manufacturing? Like, I'm sure that you guys take a lot of time over it. How important is yes. that to you personally? Uh, supremely. Um, I mean, that's outside of running a business that's successful, which is an important thing. We have people who work here who have mortgages and tuitions to pay for their kids. So, I mean, there's all of that. But yeah. the actual process of making this business and making these notebooks is um, kind of, oh, this is going to sound weird, it's sort of a religious experience in a way. It's sort of a job well done. You know, it's like, how do we make this better? What kind of paper is right for this? Let's argue about these tiny little details so we make sure that we've made the right decision. Let's... Um, uh, find the right guy with the right press. You know, well, that's okay if he's five hours away we can go there for the press check on it and let's what do you mean you want to go make a film and in the great basin and shoot an entire night of stars um book the tickets let's go like the idea that all of these pieces that the business itself generates enough income for us for us to indulge our obsessions about print production and marketing is um a blessing to be honest like we're allowed, like sometimes I can't even believe we're allowed to do this, you know, like 
sure, let's go find a fire tower in northern Wisconsin and spend two days in at the height of the fall foliage making a film that doesn't even mention the product. Like, it doesn't seem fair that we get to do it, you know? But I think the honesty of our joy in making the books and the quality of the books themselves um, communicate to an audience that I think appreciates them. And face it, the basic product's $9.95. It's not, you don't have to, it's not a big buy-in to be part of this. So yeah, it's important. I think it's important. The quality is important in terms of the actual production of the books, but also in the ideas behind the books and in the uh, production and execution of the marketing materials that go with it. Like we have a rule for field notes and in filmmaking for field notes. And it's a two word rule. And the rule is no fiction. So we can't make a movie about a grandpa father um, making a note in his beautiful Amish barn, unless, in fact, it is really a grandfather farmer making a note in his beautiful Amish barn. Like we can make documentaries, we can shoot beautiful shots of scenery, but no fiction. And 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 that and that doesn't seem like much, but when you start to think about what the marketing is for most products. There's an awful lot of fiction in it. So it's sort of an interesting constraint um, that's been, in many ways, freeing for us in terms of creating the site and the blog and the materials themselves and the related materials, you know, and finding supply. That's as much fun as anything. Is Like, did you get the uh, America is Beautiful edition? Yes, I did. with the photos, right. So that decal that came with it? Mm-hmm. So it's called a water transfer decal, and they were very popular in the 50s and 60s when American car culture and car travel culture was at its sort of height of popularity. They were made for state parks and Disneyland and those sort of things, and they're beautiful, rich colors. And it's a process by which you soak the decal in water, and it slides off of its backing in a beautiful kind of slimy way and attaches forever on the back window of your station wagon. And with car culture and with um, the changes in the country, that sort of thing disappeared. And Brian, who works for us, um, after much research, found a company in California that's still making those and still making them in the same way that they were made in the 30s and 40s. And so that research to find the right supplier, the right American supplier, who is still creating the items with the same care and craft as um, they were from the beginning is satisfying as well. So, and again, yeah, we want the quality, you know, want the quality. Like when we did the uh, packet of sunshine, uh, which were three, uh, this is a couple of springs ago now, where's three yellow books with um, memo books with different colored um, type on them, but they came in a special um, custom top loading um, string closed envelope that was meant to sort of mimic a seed envelope. And at, we were almost done with the project when someone had the idea to include some um, flower seeds in the package. And obviously the books are yellow. The next person said marigold. And then we were giddy with the idea of finding the right American company that produces um, marigold seeds to buy in quantity so that we could put them in little plastic envelopes and stuff them in 
all these thousands of field notes. And we did. I think they were from St. Joe, Michigan. Like we looked at, we actually looked at a number of different manufacturers to try to find the one that felt the most field notesy, like that felt like <laughs> it fit the most. Like, and those are like great. That's like such a great, fun project. So it's not just writing the copy and, and going to, and deciding what color they're going to be, but it's like the whole thing. If you go to the field note site and you just kind of flip through the limited editions, we're, uh, on press right now with our 20th one for the fall, the sort of, you know, the ideas behind them, I think, are as important as the way they're executed, you know? So, I mean, one guy, the fire spotter, there's this one guy who wrote us, it's in the blog somewhere, is he became a fire spotter because of it. Like, he decided he was going to volunteer for um, fire spotting duty because he was inspired by the field notes edition and and the um, related literature that we like linked up the great book by Norman McLean, Young Men in Fire, and then uh, Fire Season. Philip, oh, I can't remember his name. I don't want to get it wrong because it's such a great book. I highly recommend it. Hold on, I'll tell you, I can send you the. Oh, you can see it on the. Uh, all right, hold on, I found it. Philip Connors, I was right, Fire Season, Field Notes from a Wilderness Lookout. Uh, that book was published a couple years ago. It's about a guy who's in the fire, a fire tower for a whole season at a time when things are happening in his life. Um, and it's introspective and, and, and beautiful. And anyhow, so this guy like, was inspired by these links and by this, and next thing you know, he's a fire spotter. So, and then the cool thing is he mails us. So that's cool. So like it's the... It's all of a piece, Mike, you know, the mm. concept and the marketing materials and the production of the books and everything else. It's where pretty, did, where, pretty fun. Where did the idea for the um, color editions come from? It's a little hazy. The, um, I think it went like this, although maybe I might be wrong, is that Aaron said, let's make an orange one. And so we didn't know if it would sell. It would sell. So we made a short run of the orange ones, the butcher orange. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, even back then we were thinking ahead, we said, well, as long as we're on press, let's make some blue ones too, because we could save money if we could print them at the same time. And so then we offered the orange ones for sale. And I think I had the idea, and I think I got the idea from a friend of ours, Jay Ryan, who does uh, gig posters, and he has a subscription option in which for X number of dollars, you could pay him and he'll give you a copy of every poster he prints for the whole year. So somehow that was in my mind. And I said, let's do the same with Field Notes and let's offer this subscription. Not, we didn't really have any idea. First, we didn't know if the orange ones were going to sell. And secondly, we had no idea if people were going to go and subscribe. And sure enough, they did. Um, and a subscription basically is you're buying this one and the next three seasonal editions and you're paying for paying us for them now um, for the right to get them at a slight uh, discount, but also um, to get frequent um, extra goodies with them as well as uh, not worrying about them getting sold out and missing them. Um, and then the orange one sold quite well and eventually sold out and we sold a lot of subscriptions for it 
but we had already printed the blue ones. And we, when we put the blue ones up for sale, we forgot to count that we needed to put blue ones aside for the people who had subscribed. And so the blue ones sold out in like two days because somebody said, oh, for Christ's sakes, we owe everybody who subscribed two, three packs of these blue. And we looked at the inventory we had and we're like, crap, we're sold out. And we just put them, we put them up for sale on Tuesday and we're sold out on Friday or whatever it is. Um, and then by that time, we were like, oh, man, this subscription thing might work. And it didn't, you know, at first we had 100 subscribers or 200 subscribers, you know, so um, it took a while to build. But I think the fact that we've been right on every season for 20 editions and not everyone fits everyone's taste. But if you have a, a subscription for four editions, chances are you're going to really like one of them and like two of them and feel OK about the fourth one. So um, and that, that's actually why the Butcher Blue is the rarest for the collectors. That's why Butcher Blue is the rarest. In fact, I do not have a three pack of Butcher Blue. Brian has a three-pack here, but he won't tell me where it is because he's afraid <laughs> I'm going to take it. And and Aaron has a couple of them. There's a so. Butcher Orange on eBay at the moment, <laughs> and it's up to 147.50 for a three-pack. Oh, that's and it's, awesome! But it's I'm still got. I just on principle, I am not buying it. <laughs> it's still got. It's still got four I, days to go. Yeah, I I think we've sold. There's a couple other ones that are rare, and this is a. A, it's not a recent phenomenon, but the phenomena of the collectors and the completest is kind of top of mind because um, a Facebook group has been started yep. that there's four or 500 members of. And we always knew that there were completists out there. and But I think the completists all thought they were operating by themselves because we would always get calls from people like, oh, I'll do anything if I can just have... Uh, copy of the Mongolian version of Field Nose, or I'll do anything if you can get me a copy of Mackinac Autumn. Um, and, of course, we don't have them. And then um, we also would get reports from our retailers, like somebody just called me looking for this edition or, you know, that sort of a thing. But once the Facebook group started fairly recently, um, then all these people got to share their obsessions and their collections, and it's really satisfying and interesting to read and see how many people have been putting aside so many of these color editions so the facebook group has really kicked off the ebay yeah, stuff again yeah. like that that butcher i never thought there would be a secondary market i mean it never yeah. occurred to me in a million years first of all i didn't know if the subscriptions were going to work but i could never have dreamed there'd be a secondary market for these things it's a pretty big one i've yeah. got because i came i came quite late to the editions so and I've got a few editions. What was here. your first edition that you bought? The first edition I ever bought was the um, dry transfer edition. Um, okay. But yeah. then I took a break for a while because I just saw those. I think they were linked on Terran Fireball, and I thought that, that these are really cool notebooks. Yeah. And then I kind of left it for a while, and I started picking up packs um, here and there. Um, then I I subscribed before America the Beautiful. But I, oh, recently. Yeah, yeah, but I have a bunch of... I've been able to go back and get quite a few of the editions. So right. I, I actually have quite a few. Like, I have I have a couple of packs of Raven's Wing, which nice. is... I found a very random UK company that had, like, two packs in stock. Really? And, and a I retailer? Both. Yeah, a retailer. An nice. online retailer. In, uh, a physical retailer, or did you order them over the web? I ordered them on the, the web. Phone? But yeah. they were they were a UK physical retailer, but they, yeah. they shipped those to me. And that was a personal win for me. 
That's deep, awesome. That's, that is, um, I think that's my favorite. I mean, it's hard to say. It's like your children. But the duplex paper that those are on, which was a limited run of duplex paper. Oh, I promised I wouldn't get into all the nerdy stuff today. But uh, is really beautiful with the, the black paper on the outside with some texture, which is fused to that sort of dark blue-gray texture on the inside is really interesting and to all of the the collectors hate me for this but i will (laughs) use them like i will keep maybe one of each like i'll keep one raven's wing but i will use the raven's wing ones i will break open the the three pack that i've got and i will use them because that's what they're for right but you know i'll keep i'm I'm thinking about keeping one of each just for you know the sake of it because it's yes so So. um do you have a fate so do you have a favorite is is the raven's wing a favorite uh yeah i guess um yeah, I would say that it is. I mean, the, you know, as I look through them all, I sort of also liked, um, it's sort of interesting to go that we've tried so many different, I sort of like traveling salesmen too, so I don't know. Um, I find myself, when I'm used, I use field notes this way. I go through a steno about every two weeks on my desk. I have a steno open on my desk all the time. And when I'm done with it, I put it in a pile that I figure I'll keep if I ever need to find any of those notes. And never once have I ever gone back to that pile to find a note, but I keep them. And then I tend to use our original craft for note keeping. I just like the way it looks and feels in my back pocket. So um, from an aesthetic standpoint, I think probably Raven's Wing would be my favorite, although I do sort of... um, I do sort of have a soft spot for um, a county fair, the state editions, yeah. but maybe that's just because there's so much work involved in that. Plus, it's an interesting paper stock on the cover as well. Mm-hmm. It's so like a, li- it's like a linen. Fun. Yeah, yeah, it's got kind of a, a, a sort of a fabricy texture on it. They're super durable, and that like that one. Um, was a sort of unlimited edition. Kind of one of our ideas is when something once in a while, maybe once in a year or less, one of these limited editions um, will become a regular product. So County Fair has become a regular product and Expedition, which was a couple ago, which is the synthetic paper version, will become a product. Um, But that's, you know, two out of 19. So, Uh, yeah. So we weren't supposed to talk about all these geeky things, but it's hard not to. And for people who don't get into Fuel Notes, they must think, like, my wife thinks that it, this is all crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People in my world think that it's insane. That I care so much about pens and paper. They're like, why don't you just use this and this? I'm like, you don't understand. There are, there are reasons. I can't explain them, but they're there. So, it's fun to see them in interesting places. They wind up in magazine layouts or they wind up in a TV show or there's a book being published in a few days by a very popular American mystery writer that has um, field notes as the MacGuffin. There's a, there's a blue, a yellow, and a red field notes um, that the whole plot turns on. Wow. And I can't, say, I can't say what it is yet, but you, if you just pay attention to field notes, we should be able to talk about it in just a few days. Um, but so that's sort of interesting. It's interesting when they show up, and I like I like it when they show up when when they're stocked in barber shops and huh. when they're stocked in surf shops and when they're stocked in like restaurants. Like I like when they're I, I obviously I love it when we're in the museum shop in London and when we're in all of these great shops, J Crew and all these other places all over the world. But I like it when we're 
kind of in an oddball place where you wouldn't expect to find field notes. Have you ever seen them, not expecting to see them? Um, yes, because I don't really know all the stores, but I've come to the point now where if I visit a city, like I was in Portland for XOXO in September, I take a quick look at our retail list, and then as we're walking around, I like to sort of just check them out there. So I have run them, run into them in stores, and I've certainly run into people using them in an airport or whatever that I didn't expect, and that's always pleasant to see. You go up to them, that's mine, and they're like, no, yeah, who I know, are you? Funny. <laughs> like, we're after a... Uh, uh, I forgot, I'm not going to tell the story. There's too much swearing in there. Forget it. <laughs> um, a couple, couple more things, and then I'll let okay. you go, because I've kept you for much longer than I said I would. I hope that's okay. It's okay. Um is there any, I mean, I know that you guys don't talk about upcoming editions, and I like that. I like that there's secrecy around it. But are there any are there any sort of color editions that you've wanted to make, but you just can't do it for whatever reason? Well, I'll say this: the our most recent edition, which was the Night Sky edition, uh, which was a really great. It sold really quickly. Um, it's top two or three sellers in terms of how fast it sold and how fast it sold out. That the original version of that was going to have the stars on the back in glow-in-the-dark foil ink, glow-in-the-dark ink. And we could never, after test, after test, after test, on process, after process, after process, could never get them glowy enough for our satisfaction. Like, we could never get them to be like those stars you used to put on your ceiling when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, and maybe it's because I'm older, it turns out that they don't make glow-in-the-dark the way they used to make glow-in-the-dark. There's actually some sort of a radioactive compound in it <laughs> back in the old days. Of like, course. <laughs> right, right. And so we could not do, it's not good enough for us to do it. And then Brian here had the idea of trying this uh, holographic foil. And so sometimes when something doesn't work, something better comes out of it. So then all of a sudden we saw the test of that and we're like, oh, well, this is it. We should have been doing this all, all along. So, yeah. And then there's been a couple editions that we started and stopped um, and put on the back burner. We never got to press or anything, but either they were too ambitious for the time that we had to do them or it wasn't the right thing for right then. So... Yeah, so and we've got a kind of got a book full of potential additions, but generally when it comes time to cook up the next one, like we're working on winter right now, um, we try to go into it with a pretty open mind and not just take the next one on the list because there's something about the rhythm of which one comes after which one, and um, so we've got kind of an idea for that, or at least I have kind of an idea. I haven't really shared it with anyone yet. Um, and then we've got a couple slotted in for next year, but that could change too. Like the farther out it is, the more in danger it is of never happening because it will get supplanted by a new idea. And sometimes the idea comes from a printing process that we want to do, or somebody finds a great sort of stock of paper from an American mill that we, like we have this really great paper here from this small American mill that we haven't been able to figure out how to use, and that's going to become an addition once we figure out exactly how to use it. Um, and sometimes it even comes out of a film. We, you know, we want to make this film. You know, so usually we make the addition and then we make a film to market it. But there's no law that says we can't come up with a great idea for a film and attach an addition to that. You know, so like we have, 
we're not we're not a client and an ad agency. We're all one thing, so we can sort of do whatever. So I think I think my favorites are the night sky because of the holographic. Because you, you can't. I love that. I, I yeah, think that that's it's, amazing. It's nice, and it's, it's real a surprise. nice, and it's and it's nice that the three are different. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, yeah, but I like it, the surprise of it because you can't photograph that really. No, the way that you see there's it. a couple of good photos where you get sort of that rainbowy sort of yeah. reflection thing. There's a couple of good photos online by people, but it's difficult. It's it never. It doesn't ever look as good in a photo as it does in your hand. So I have one last question for you. All right. So <laughs> she's gonna say, "Do you have a copy of Mackinac?" Oh, <laughs> I'm really looking for the <laughs> Levi edition. <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so with apps, cloud services, syncing, and supercomputers in our pockets, uh-huh. why do you think people still want pens and paper? Um, I think it's because I mean I can only answer for me, yeah. but for me it's because. It's so personal. When I write a note, I am writing a note to myself. When I peck away on my phone, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? When I write a note, I am writing it to myself. And I think, and that note might be as simple as, um, don't forget to watch Battlestar Galactica with Spencer, my son, or whatever it is. But I am making a note to myself. And I also think, and this comes of my background as a designer, I think, is that I know how valuable doodling can be in the process of trying to solve visual problems. And they haven't figured out a very good way to doodle yet online. At least I haven't found one. So I think there's something about that sort of scribbly thing between the hand and the brain. There's some magic between the hand and the brain for that kind of scribbly thing um and i like the thing you know it's a, it harkens back to the past it's like it's so much of my life is tied up on my phone and my ipad and my computer it's so nice to have parts of it that aren't i love to keep score in a rummy game in a field notes and i usually hate to keep score but there's something like i'm like now maybe it's just because i'm getting older i love to keep score my math skills are terrible but you know like uh and and if somebody came me with a really great app for keeping score and rummy i wouldn't want to use it yeah. you know so but not everybody's like that but thankfully enough people are so. i think that they are the for me as well the, the two reasons that it will never go away you can never you can never make that experience of pen and paper the drawing the doodling it will never be as fluid in technology in my opinion i don't think it will ever be possible to do I, yeah i don't know and people are always like oh you should make a iphone app but we're like no, no don't ever do that <laughs> we're like are you kidding <laughs> field notes make an iphone app the yeah. only app i would want is just to catalog my collection or something you well, know. if we do that, we have to do that in some sort of a card file or something, don't we? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have to do it as a physical thing, don't we? Much better. Much yeah. better. Yeah. That gives me an idea. Jim, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. and I'm, I'm really, really thankful you decided to come on the show. It's, it's been great to talk to you. Oh, thanks. And um, that link to the um, Firespotter material is right in the Firespotter entry on the Field Notes blog. And... I believe there's some talk of Brian, who is our production guy and a field notes expert in terms of 
materials and printing processes appearing on your other podcast. Yes. And for those of you who like the nerdy parts of Field Notes, that will one to be not not to be missed. Yeah, we, uh, Brian's going to be uh, on the Pen Addict with me and Brad in the very near future, I believe. Brad is arranging that as we speak. Excellent. So, Good. Jim, well, I'm glad we didn't do too much of their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Where can we? Uh, where Where can people go online and find you if they would like to do so? Where are good uh, places? Just go to kudal.com, and from there you can find the deck, and you can find field notes and many of our other projects. Awesome. I hope that you've all enjoyed listening to this very special episode of Command Space. If you'd like to keep up with me on the internet, I am I M Y K E on all the social networks. I'm at I'm Hike and everywhere. That's the best place to find me. Thanks so much for listening to, the, to this special episode, and I'll be back with you next week. Until then, bye-bye.